This podcast contains content and language not suitable for some listeners. Welcome to Oddities and Curiosities, a podcast about murder, the paranormal, and other oddities sure to pique your curiosity. We are Amanda. (laughs) And Brittany. (laughs) I have no idea where that came from. It just word vomited out of my mouth and you are welcome. I can't match that energy friend. I can't do it. I think it's because I'm a little delirious. I'm getting... A little bit sleepy over here. Life is weird. Life is weird. We're recording again on a Thursday. It's and fine. Here and here we are. <laughs> we are making it. <laughs> Looks like We're- we made it. <laughs> yeah, last week we both went out of town. Yeah. I went to New Orleans to the motherland. Yeah. Oh. Well, first I went to Baton oh, Rouge. I know. You've been to And like, then I oh. went to New Orleans. Yeah, it was great. And it was, like, mostly family shit that we did on the trip. Uh, But. Yeah, so it doesn't make me as jealous as if it would have been, like, a grown-up trip. Girl, the food we ate, you would be jealous. I was jealous at all the photos that I saw and none get anything brought home. I'd be doing that. If I eat something good, I'm a a food picture taker, and I post it to the World Wide Web and make everybody look at it. (laughs) Look. Look what I'm putting in my mouth right now. <laughs> Be jealous. <laughs> it's fine. Well, I, I I did not have photos of food, but I uh, went to Lafayette and went to Avery Island, where the home of Tabasco. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Until you smell it fermenting in the barrels. Oh, no. It smells like ass mixed with feet with sour milk. Um. Quite grateful I was not there. That was stop number three. I highly recommend you skip stop number three altogether. Go the other way. (laughs) (laughs) Don't go to that dark, shadowy place. (laughs) (laughs) But it was gorgeous. It was really cool. And, like, I didn't realize that I have become a history buff, and I was eating all of it up. That's really I was reading every little plaque, everything, and Asher was like, oh my god, mom, you're such a nerd. What's your point? No, you know what that's a sign of. Shut up. (laughs) Get out of my house. It's a sign of the old. (laughs) Did you grab your newspaper all the way out, too? I had a map. (laughs) Did you sit at the Waffle House and drink coffee? And tip a quarter? (laughs) but I did pass by a huddle house, and I thought of you. (laughs) Glory days. I almost took a photo of it, but I was driving and it was on the highway. That's so dangerous. Like, That's Don't probably do that. not a good idea. But I was like, ooh. <laughs> I may or may not have waited tables at a questionable huddle house <laughs> in a college town. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Yes, you did. It's fine. I saw some things. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard a few stories. Uh, yeah. Anywho. Yeah. So it is. Hey. Oh, hey. Wait. What? One thing I was going to say about my trip. Oh, what? I did oh, see yeah. something cool. Yes, you did. So at the Audubon Zoo, they have a like a little plaque and a statue of the Rougarou, which I thought was super oh. cheesy and very cool. We know what that is. Yeah. So I'll post pictures of that. And then I went to this. And then. And then. And then. (laughs) 
I went to this uh, t-shirt store in the quarter, and I think they have a couple of locations around New Orleans, but it's called Dirty Coast. And Amazing. They, yes, they have really cool t-shirts, all, all obviously Louisiana-themed t-shirts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Last year, I got Ashton one. Well, it's called a Louisiana Christmas tree, but it's yeah. um, a Mardi Gras tree. It's like a dead-looking tree because that's what our trees look like during Mardi Gras. <laughs> they look dead. With beads in them. <laughs> covered with Mardi Gras beads. Mm-hmm. So I got Ashton that t-shirt, and I thought it was really cool. So we went to go get him another shirt, and whilst shopping for my kid... I found a Rougarou t-shirt. Yeah. And it was beautiful. It is really pretty. I love the colors. It's in all the best colors. It's Mm -hmm. like a hot pink and Mm turquoise color. It's beautiful. Of course, I bought it, and I've got a picture of it, and I'll post it. And shout out to the super cute cashier girl who put up with my shenanigans and (laughs) asked about the podcast. So I don't know your name, but hello, super cute cashier girl. Yeah, she is definitely our people. Yes, we like you. Your tattoos were cool. Let's be friends. I didn't meet you, but I want to, and I want to be friends as well. Okay. Okay. <laughs> We're now besties with you in case you didn't know. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I'll post pics of those um, and I'll tag Dirty Coast in them. So if you want to go look at some of the t-shirts they have. They have some really mm-hmm. cute stuff in there, y'all. You we went there last time should. that me and Brittany went and that's where I found those socks that I got for Bailey that says, I'm a delicate fucking flower. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those were cute. Yep. It's a really cool story. It is. <laughs> okay. Okay. Hey, Brittany. Hey, Amanda. What episode number are we on this week? I misnumbered it again. No. Are you serious? How how am I getting through life right now? What are you doing? Part-timer. It's oh, fine. my God. She's officially been downgraded. Fuck. All right. It's, oh, it says 105. I just changed it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's episode 105. <laughs> Glad Brittany could join us. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> Hello. Damn, I thought I was for sure setting you up for a victory. <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> There's no victory in sight right now. It's fine. <clears throat> Our topic... um This week is not so cute. No, it's not. This is going to be a heavy one, so just pre all the trigger warnings. Just know there are triggers everywhere. Yeah, you might want to save this one for when you can have a drink. Yeah. Yeah. Our topic is familicide. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yay, Mm -hmm. family. (laughs) Yay. We're going to try, okay? We're, we will do our best to put our little ONC twist on it and yeah. do what we can do. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you go over to the socials mm-hmm. so you can get pictures from the episode and pictures of my Rougarou stuff. Oh, yeah. And any other shenanigans and guess that cryptid and yada, yada, yada. All the good stuff. And, and pictures of our hump day treats. Because you know what? It's, it's hump day. day. You can much. tell we're tired. I can't do too much dancing around. I ate too much of the hump day treat. For real. My belly is a swelling as we speak. <sighs> it's fine. Okay, tell tell them what you brought us. <laughs> so they'll be like, what the hell did you? <laughs> so, okay. Mm-hmm. 
(laughs) (laughs) This was a hard one to stay on theme with, okay? (laughs) It was hard, and I was tired. Sure, that's what she said. And totes doing everything last minute, because that's just how life's been right now. Mm -hmm. And how, how do you come up with a treat? For familicide. Uh, there, there's... Mm-mm. So after suggestions from friends and such. So I went to um, <laughs> Ghetto Berkshires. <laughs> if you're from Shreveport, you know exactly what Berkshires I'm talking about. Yep, it's not disrespectful. It's just what it is. This it, is why we call it. It's not really it's ghetto. Endearing. It's, it's, it's endearing. It's <laughs> endearing. It's ghetto. Um, so I went to Ghetto Berkshires. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the grocery store near my house, so... That's what it is. Yeah. That's why I go there. But anyway, I went through the frozen family food <laughs> section. <laughs> and since we were on a short timeline, I got one that could go into the microwave. <laughs> so tonight I present to you. Be our guest. <laughs> Be our guest. Um, microwaved Stover's. Family not, not size. Not Stover's. Wow. Microwave Stover's Stover. family size mac and cheese. Bon appetit. <laughs> Microwaved. Microwaved. And I didn't even microwave it. Amanda did. So thanks, Amanda, for our update tree. I slaved really hard over it. I purchased it and took it out of the box. Yes, you did. Then. It's actually good. It's really super cheesy. It was pretty good, but it expands in your stomach. Bruh. Do not get excited. Ugh. Slow down. Slow, Slow down. it down. <laughs> Nobody's going to take it from you. Mm-mm. It's well, okay. Hopefully not. <laughs> then I needed a drink. Yes. It's been a day, week a week, at me. <laughs> a month, a year. <laughs> so I went to the wine section. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I went to the Sweet Whites because that's where I like to live. Yes, same. And I saw... It's really good. I mean, I've had this wine before a bajillion times. Oh, yeah. But I looked at the bottle (laughs) and just a light bulb went off. So I purchased Sutter Home Moscato because families live in homes. (laughs) (laughs) I present to you your hump day treat. (laughs) You're welcome. It's still funny. It's still funny. She said it now like three times, and it's still funny. It's funny every time. (laughs) And I was like literally thinking I was being clever, and then I said it out loud and realized that's so fucking stupid, but I love it, and that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Because van drivers and truck drivers both drive. (laughs) Families live, live in homes. My track record. I love love our connecting the dots. (laughs) My track record is is getting a little wavy. Okay, (laughs) things are getting a little wild, but I'll bring it back. I promise. Eventually, it'll come back. Right? Absolutely. I I believe in you. (laughs) It's the second time I've told you that today. I believe in you. And the last time you said that, like I walked back into the building. And immediately I thought of bring it on. That's where it came from. Me. That's where it came from. (laughs) Exactly. You got it. That's great. Yep. That's why we're friends. Yeah. That's that's why we talked about we talk about um, fucked up shit together. That's it. Yeah. Well, today's a doozy. So buckle buckle up. up. (laughs) Oh, get out of my head. 
Damn. I'm feeling slightly uncomfortable. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, guys. <laughs> All the triggers. There you go. There's so many. I'm not even going to list them. Just know that you may be triggered. Yeah. All right. So, familicide is defined as one family member who murders other members of their family, usually taking the lives of them all. It is most often used to describe cases where a parent, usually the father, kills his wife and children and then himself. Mm-hmm. These cases are horrifying acts which can wipe out an entire family, leaving relatives, friends, and colleagues stunned and confused. Yeah, because there's no way to get answers. Everybody's mm-hmm. gone. Often, no outward signs were visible to suggest anyone was in danger or that there was a risk of an individual taking such horrific actions. It is a crime that has both horrified and fascinated those who study it. Familicide is commonly interchanged with the term family annihilator. Mm -hmm. Most researchers agree that this act is a form of mass murder due to the multiple victims involved. Professor Jack Levin or Levin, whoever you are. I like Levin. Okay, Jack Levin. Okay. Professor of Sociology and Criminology at Emeritus. (laughs) Sure. Okay. Yeah. Emeritus. Sure. At Northeastern University in Boston, you know, Professor Jack in Boston. That's what's important. Yeah, there you go. There you go. States that the profile of a man who kills his family is a middle-aged man, a good provider who would appear to neighbors to be a dedicated husband and devoted father. Ew. Researchers also identified four common areas which may be the causes of such family murders. A breakdown in the family relationship and issues surrounding access to children. Mm-hmm. Money worries and financial hardship. Mm-hmm. Cultural honor killings. Oh, yeah. And mental illness. Yep, 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 yep. And here's where my case comes in. Okay. The case of Bruce Blackman, a 22-year-old man in British Columbia, is a tragic example of how mental illness can be involved in cases of familicide. Whoa, wait, wait, pause. 22? 22. That's young. It's real young. Yeah. Okay. He doesn't fall into the typical boxes that I just talked about. Obviously not. But uh, here we go. I'm here for it. Okay. Bruce Blackman was born in 1960 to Richard, a Vancouver firefighter, and Irene Blackman, and had five siblings. That's too many kids. (sighs) Props. Just props. Your poor vagina. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Irene. Yeah. He was also a twin. Oh. Bruce and his twin brother, Todd, in some places... Todd. It says Barry, and in some places it says Todd. But it seems like maybe he's his name was Barry, but he went by Todd, is what I gathered from the 40 bajillion articles I read. Okay. Just to throw that in there. Okay. I'm calling him Todd. Okay. Because that was the most, seemed to be the most consistent. Bruce and Barry. Yeah, I think. That's probably what it was. Yeah. Okay. But I think he goes by Todd. All right. Bruce and his twin brother, Todd, were practically opposites. Beginning around middle school, their differences in personality really began to show one big difference was that Todd kept his hair cut short and valued personal hygiene. Thanks, Good Todd. quality. <laughs> Thanks, Todd. Yeah. Bruce kept his hair long and would go days or a week without showering or changing clothes. Um. No. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh. I can smell him from here. Oy. Yeah. Todd excelled in school. Learning came naturally to him. 
Bruce failed most of his classes in seventh grade, and his mother took him to a psychologist to have him evaluated for a learning disability. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. While there, they were told that Bruce is a mirror twin. The doctor explained that mirror twins is a rare phenomenon among twins where one twin mirrors the traits or afflictions of the other. The doctor believed that it was because of this condition that Bruce was dyslexic. Todd could read words as they were meant to be read and seen. Bruce saw them reversed or opposite. Okay. He said that this can come... In the form of one being right-handed, the other left-handed, or one having issues on the right side of the body and the other having issues on the left. That's crazy. So weird, right? Yeah. What's also weird is that Todd was born first and much bigger than Bruce. He was nine pounds, six ounces. Good Lord. Big old baby. Especially for a twin. My goodness. Yeah. Bruce was born second and he was six pounds, nine ounces. Holy crap. Exactly opposite. Yeah. Just like the doctor said. Bruce decided that this meant that he didn't have to try to be so much like Todd anymore. He could just be himself, opposite. Sure. He could be laid back, stop trying, and just coast. He felt that this revelation gave him a purpose, which was to mirror Todd. I mean, I want to be laid back and stop trying and just coast Mm. after I hit the lottery. No, I don't want to just coast. Well, when I say just coast, like not have to worry about stuff. Oh, I'm going to worry. It's like, <laughs> it is hard well, I, wired. <laughs> I mean, that would be nice. It, it sounds it good. It sounds utopian. <laughs> but yeah, I am I'm living, breathing proof that some people anxiety. are just wired for worry and anxiety and stress. And she is I. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Bruce started smoking marijuana only days later, only days after this. Finding out he was a mirror twin. Damn. <laughs> he was any time. Really okay. trying to chill. <laughs> okay. And it became the only way he felt he could numb the pain of being a failure. Mm. He dropped out of high school his senior year. And by the time he was 22, he was living on his own in an apartment with a roommate and working as a swamper on a garbage truck. Yes. I didn't know that they were called swampers. I didn't either. But it, I like that. That was name. interesting to me. But okay. Mm-hmm. His brother Todd had joined the Canadian Armed Forces, and Bruce's father had urged him to do the same. But fairly quickly, Bruce had been kicked out for narcotics possession, and then he got the garbage man job. Yeah, you can't smoke weed. They don't like that. They don't agree with it. Mm -mm. Bruce liked his job. It was pretty easy and straightforward. He did the same thing every day, and he started finding tons of stuff people were throwing out that was still perfectly good. Oh, no. He found furniture, vacuum cleaners, and the nicest leather jacket he'd ever owned in the garbage. He even found a Bible once, which he kept. He didn't grow up in a super religious household, but for some reason, the fact that someone had thrown away a Bible really bothered him. Okay. Did he read it? Maybe. maybe. Ma'am, we'll get to it. Okay. Bruce's roommate first started noticing that something wasn't right with Bruce's behavior in the fall of 1982. He began noticing that Bruce's eyes were bloodshot, but he'd been smoking less weed. He didn't eat for days and started seeing things that he felt were ominous or scary, things that his roommate didn't see. This is when he started to tell his family that the end of the world was coming and that he received a message from an angel that he needed to know God. Okay. He called his father every day reading passages from the Bible and warned him about the end. 
His father could only listen as there was no changing Bruce's belief that the end was coming and he had some special role to play. He was seeing what he thought were signs everywhere. Once he tried to show his brother Todd a cloud he saw in the shape of a seven-pointed star, which was not there. And when Todd told him that he couldn't see it, it hit him. The mirror twin thing. Todd didn't see the star, which meant it was only meant for him to see. Oh, no. Instead of helping him realize that nobody else could see these signs because they weren't actually there, these experiences only seemed to confirm these feelings. Is he schizophrenic? Uh, not diagnosed. It's kind of curious. It sounds like it. Yeah. The angel who gave him messages and dreams started talking to him throughout the day as well. Bruce began referring to her as the white woman. <laughs> <laughs> That white I mean, girl. he's an angel. <laughs> that white girl. That white girl. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> and since Bruce sees everything in opposites now, and the fact that his last name is Black Man, <sighs> he felt like it was another sign. She is God, the white woman. He is Black Man. Therefore, he must be the Antichrist. Oh, my God. Uh, wow. Wow. I love how he, <laughs> from, he, he dot to dotted it really well, too, didn't he? <laughs> yes. To the extreme. He okay. stopped sleeping. He stopped mm. eating. He was fueled only by reading the Bible, specifically Revelations 10 and 11. Oh, okay. One night, Bruce's roommate came home with a friend and found Bruce setting the table for four guests. When they asked him what the table was set for, he told them the world was ending that night at 8 p.m. and they all had to be together. He wanted them to call the others in their friend group to come over. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Mm-mm. They called one of the friends, but he was in for the night, and the other was homesick in bed. Bruce demanded they get them over. After arguing for a while, the two friends left. They were hoping Bruce would cool down. They arrived at another friend's house, only to have Bruce show up shortly after. Oh, no. He had run the six blocks to chase them. <gasps> he was begging again to call the friend who was sick in bed, but everyone refused, saying she had the flu and the world wasn't going to end. Broken-hearted, Bruce went to leave. When he opened the door, he yelled, The Beast! And saw a huge beast with yellow eyes and blood-dripping fangs. His friends tried to convince him he was seeing the neighbor's dog, not a devil beast. Oh, no. They tried to console him and talk to him to help calm him down, but he ran away. Oh, shit. He told his brother Todd on the phone during this time that he wasn't eating or sleeping because the white woman was going to kill him if he slept. Bruce told him he was seeing messages on the TV that the world was going to end, and he was seeing signs that only he could see. Todd urged him to talk to their father and try to calm him down, that it would all be okay. At work one day, one of Bruce's co-workers pointed out that an inlet had frozen over, saying, I didn't think salt water could freeze. Bruce knew that it couldn't and that this was another sign of the end for him. Well, he's obviously not reading it very close because these are n none of these are signs of the end of time. He's Kay. interpreting like I every know. human does. They interpret yeah. the Bible and signs in whatever way they like. Yeah. Oh, yep, yep. That's what makes it and so scary. you know <laughs> he needs to get help. All right, y'all hooked? Oh, no, I've been hooked. Okay, here we go. Yeah. By mid-December, Bruce had become obsessed with the little book in Revelations. Okay. Bruce decided, okay. What? Wait, I just read it. Pause. Okay. Bruce 
It's going to get gross. Okay. <laughs> it's going to get nasty. I'm going to try to read through this as quickly as possible because it's gross, but it is a big part of okay. what he was doing. Okay. So I have to talk about it. Okay. Closing your eyes is not going to make you not hear it. No, but I, I'm not reading. <laughs> oh my cow. Y'all come get your friend. No. Cause, oh, Bruce decided he had to eat the little book, which for him included semen and menstrual blood. <laughs> he started masturbating and eating his own semen. He felt this would bring him closer to God. His roommate suggested he go stay with a family member <laughs> to make sure he was eating and sleeping. And Bruce thought this was the perfect opportunity for him to convince his family members to eat their books as well. He was eating. <laughs> Jizz don't count. Oh, God. No matter what men say. It's it protein. Does, it doesn't have protein or essential vitamins in it. It prevents breast cancer. No. Keep your jizz to yourself. All right. Okay. We're moving on. Yeah, yeah. Please get it over with. He believed that his family members were all part of the signs and that they were part of the apocalypse. So being around them was better anyway. They had to be together. Okay. Then he started obsessing over numbers. Oh, no. He felt especially drawn to the number seven, which appeared in the book of Revelation many times. Mm -hmm. Seven. Seven. <laughs> seven. Seven. He thought that this was his siblings, but there were only six of them. He decided one of his sisters must be pregnant, which would make the number seven. Okay. Okay. When he stayed with his sister, Karen, he asked if she was pregnant, but she wasn't. Then he asked if she was on her period, which she was. She had to eat her book. So when she was at work, he took one of her used pads and squeezed as much of her blood into a cup as he could. Just a few drops, but that's all he needed. He added it to the blender with orange juice, two pages from his Bible, and two packets of chicken soup. Because orange juice and chicken soup goes together. Yeah, this is a weird combination. Okay. <sighs> <laughs> the orange juice and chicken soup is what's weird. <laughs> While he was making this, he learned that his sister Angela, his other, you know, another one of his sisters, was pregnant oh. that day when he called her to ask. Nobody knew yet, and she hadn't announced it to anyone and that was the seven he was looking for. Aha. Uh -huh. So that's what he did while his while Karen was at work. He made her a shake and called his other sister. Oh, my God. When Karen got home from work that day, he demanded she drink her book when she got home. She didn't drink much because it tasted horrible. No shit. Yeah. But he felt like she had done what was needed since she got a few sips in. Oh, my God. He told her husband, Robert, that he'd made her eat her book. And Robert told Karen, and nobody knows what he's talking about. Okay, I was just about to ask, do they know what that means? No. Like, what the ingredients are? No, they have no idea what he's talking about when he says you need to eat your book. Okay, okay. So he told her husband, Robert, that he made her eat her book, and Robert told Karen that Bruce needed help. Yeah. Karen went to stay with the neighbors while Bruce was there because now she was afraid of him. Mm -hmm. Her brother, Bruce, was gone, and she didn't know who had taken his place. So the sisters, Karen and Angela, talked and found a psychiatrist to evaluate Bruce. Good job, sisters. Yes. During this time, Bruce started making some strange calls. Records show he called the Canadian Department of National Defense and tried to call the Pope in Rome and Poland. 
How'd that go? Mm, I'm guessing he didn't get through. Yeah. The psychiatrist came to Karen and Robert's house to evaluate Bruce. Bruce went on and on telling the psychiatrist that he was possessed by the devil. He was the Antichrist. He was hearing voices from a woman. And he was trapped in time. But the psychiatrist said he didn't believe Bruce was violent. He gave him a tranquilizer shot and encouraged Bruce's father to have him evaluated in the clinic that week and gave him a committal form and had signed it so that if they had to force Bruce to be committed, they had the paperwork necessary. So this psychiatrist was like, I'm being proactive for you. If he's being proactive, like maybe you should just go ahead and take him. Listen to the doctor. Yeah. While he's asleep, drop his ass off. Mm -hmm. And they also gave him a prescription for an oral tranquilizer. To take daily. Good Lord. Mm -hmm. Okay. Three days later, Bruce showed up at his sister Angela's house at 5.30 a.m. And she woke up to him standing over her bed. No. She didn't know he was coming. He left Karen's house and went to Angela's house. That's freaky. She lived over 400 miles away. Oh, my God. He asked to stay with her. She was shocked to find him there and knew there was something going on with with him, but she wasn't afraid. She trusted Bruce. He had always been laid back and a good person. By this time, she was about halfway through her pregnancy. Her husband, Fred, was a little nervous to leave Angela home alone with Bruce, given the way he'd made his appearance without any announcement. But Angela was not worried. Fred went to work, and Angela said she felt like having an omelet for breakfast. Bruce offered to make it for her. Oh, God. I need a drink. Hang on. Oh, God. What did he put in it? I don't want to know. She took a couple bites and couldn't finish it. She thought maybe the eggs had gone bad. Mm. She gave the rest to her dog, which I wouldn't feed my dog bad eggs, so I don't get that. No, I wouldn't either. That afternoon, the dog wouldn't wake up from his nap. Angela and Fred tried to get him up for a walk, but he just ran into the wall and fell over. Oh, my God. Angela felt a little strange, too. Fred asked Bruce if he knew what was going on, and he said, The dog wasn't supposed to eat the pills, Angela. You were. Holy fuck. What? After some questioning, Fred and Angela learned that Bruce crushed up seven of his tranquilizer pills into Angela's omelet because God told him to prevent the baby from doing something. Okay. He didn't specify, but he obviously was trying to terminate the pregnancy. Luckily, the dog, Angela, and the baby survived. Oh my god, that could have killed her. Yeah. Like, um, oh my god. Made and her miscarry. I mean, yeah, obviously, ooh. but ooh, ooh. And then the poor dog. That poor baby. Yeah. yeah. During this time, so while all this crazy ass shit's going on. Okay. Bruce got accepted into a millwright program about 400 miles away from home. Okay. I'm going to tell you what Okay, okay. A millwright is a skilled worker who builds and maintains factory machinery. I had to Google it because I didn't know what that was. Okay. His father had applied for him years earlier, and the acceptance came in the middle of all of this. Bruce knew it meant the world to his father, so he quit his job and agreed to go take the course. Dr. Jeffson, the psychiatrist they found, strongly urged everyone in the family that he spoke with, including Bruce... That this was not the right time for him to go to Nelson for the apprenticeship. Hell no. He knew that a big change like this could increase Bruce's anxiety and make his symptoms worse. Bruce left for Nelson and the morning after he arrived at his dorm, he flew back to Vancouver. The voices were telling him things like 
The gap is narrowing. You're running out of time. You are Satan. You are Zeus. Kill your family. Zeus? Okay. Yeah, I don't know where Zeus comes into play, but he said it. Okay. So the doctor is saying, do not make this big change. And everybody's like, eh. And he goes anyway. Change is good for him. No, He'll be no, fine. No, no, no. Change is not good for anybody. No, that's a lie. Change is good. But you know what I mean. Yeah. Not in this case. Not in this case. Change is scary. Yeah. <sighs> On January 17th, 1983, Bruce's father called Dr. Jeffson to let him know that Bruce had come home and was not well. You think? Dr. Jeffson urged him to bring Bruce to the hospital to be committed and evaluated. His father said he'd take him in the morning. Mm. Before bed that night, Bruce went into his brother Ricky's room to talk with him about the end of the world. Ricky ignored him and didn't want to hear it. But as he got ready for bed, he saw Bruce hide something under his bed. When Bruce left, he looked for himself. It was a hunting knife. Okay. Ricky became frightened. He told his father, who said that he'd stay up all night with Bruce not to worry. They were going to visit the doctor in the morning anyway. Sir, sir. Yeah, no. Go now. Here is your sign. You know, since you missed the first, like, five million. Like, (laughs) Take him now. Now, 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 now. The doctor signed the form ahead of time. They're still open. I promise you. Oh, my God. Yeah, there's no hours on that. (sighs) At 4.45 a.m., Bruce called his sister, Bobby. So this is the other sister. Oh, I was about to say, wait. There's three boys, three girls, the twins and Ricky, and then the Karen, Angela, and now Bobby. Okay, okay. He told her something was happening, he had a knife, and to come over immediately with Karen, but not to bring Bobby's husband, John. Okay. Bobby called Dr. Jeffson. Good. Mm -hmm. Good The sisters know what's going on. Yeah. They know what's up. Bobby called Dr. Jeffson, who told her not to go and to call the police. Yes. Okay. I said the sisters know what's up, but they're finna do something stupid. Okay. Dr. Jeffson knows knows what's what's up. up. Okay. Yeah. Bobby said no, and that she didn't want to upset her father. She would let him know what happened after she got there. So she uh, told the doctor, I'm not calling the police. I'm going to go over there and see what's going on, and then I'll call you back, Doc. That poor doctor. <sighs> That's so stupid. Nobody's listening. Nobody's listening to Dr. Jeffson. No. The voices were relentless, telling Bruce to kill his family. God needed them. He had to send them to God. Mm. Bruce had taken all the family's guns from the safe in the basement earlier that evening and had them ready for the massacre. Oh, my God. He went downstairs, picked up a rifle, and prepared for what had to happen. He walked upstairs and saw his father, who held his hands up and yelled, Bruce, don't. And Bruce fired the gun. The shot went through his father's palm and into his cheek. He staggered forward, begging for his life. Bruce shot again and missed. He steadied himself and shot three more times until his father was dead at 50 years old. Okay. Okay. There's more. There's more. Because it's the familicide. Uh-huh. Okay. So his brother Ricky had heard the shot and ran towards the noise. He saw his father on the ground in a pool of blood. He turned his head to the left and saw Bruce holding a gun and then Bruce shot Ricky, 16 years old, turned to run, and Bruce followed. He shot again, this time hitting his brother, who fell to the ground. Okay. His mother, Irene, 49, awoke to the noises upstairs in her bed. She yelled down honey to her husband. She started to get out of bed to see what was happening downstairs. 
Bruce heard her voice and ran up the stairs two at a time. She opened the door and she started to run from Bruce. He shot her in the back. She fell backward and tried to say something, but she wasn't forming words. He shot her once more in the head. Oh, my God. This is so brutal. So bad. He went back downstairs and dragged his father and Ricky into the basement. He tried to clean up the blood, but there was too much of it. Then he heard the car pull into the driveway. His sisters, Karen and Bobby. Oh, Karen called to Bobby and John. They brought John, her husband, with them. Thank goodness. Yeah. Sort of. Um, But she called to them and told them to go ahead that her shoe was coming off and she had to fix it. Bruce snuck out of the house and into the garage behind Karen, 25, as she adjusted her shoe. She turned to look at him and said, Bruce, and he shot her in the head once. John was still in the garage and pleaded with Bruce to stop this, to give him the gun. He tried to shoot John, but missed. John ran out of the garage into the yard. John was yelling for help as he tried to get away. Bruce aimed again and fired, this time hitting John, who fell to the ground. Holy... A neighbor saw John try to desperately flee in the pre-dawn darkness. It was 4.45. By this time, it was about 5.30. Okay. But the neighbor, Ed Field, who was awakened by the gunshots and alerted the police, said he heard the cries for help and saw an armed man chase a victim around the house and then order him back into the brightly lit home. All the lights were on in the house. Wow. The neighbor said that was the first thing he noticed. He heard the cries and saw all the lights on in his neighbor's house. Yeah, that's not very common for that early in the morning. Okay. Or anytime, really. Anytime. (laughs) Bruce forced John back inside. He told John that he was the devil and that he had told his sisters not to bring him. And that if he was there, it must mean he was supposed to die, too. Okay. He shot John 39 in the face and head over and over a total of six times. But John was still breathing. (sighs) What? So, brace yourselves. He found a hammer and raised it, smashing John's face over and over again until he was no longer recognizable. His sister Bobby, John's wife, 28, had gone inside the house during this time and saw the blood in the house. She heard her husband yelling and ran back outside. She saw Bruce attacking her husband with a hammer and begged him to stop even putting her hands over her husband's face to provide a barrier. He struck one of her fingers. And she turned to run, and he chased her. He shot her twice. She fell to the ground, and he dragged her into the garage and dropped her once inside, letting her skull crack against the concrete. Okay. So he went inside and passed by Karen, who was still breathing, and shot her again. He heard John gurgle again and hit him a few more times with the hammer. Oh, my. Dude, he's not going to survive. You can you can stop, yeah. okay? Then Bobby gasped, struggling to breathe. He hit her with the hammer as well. His job was almost done. He still had to get close enough to Angela and Todd to finish the job, the two siblings that weren't there. Mm-hmm. Luckily, that wouldn't happen. The police arrived as Bruce started walking down the hill away from the house. They chased him and apprehended him. Jesus. Okay, get ready for some more. I can't handle okay. anymore. <laughs> so I was outraged at the family, not victim blaming at all, but I was outraged that they had this doctor here so willing to help them and laying out what they needed to do to the point that he signed a document saying you can commit him. At any time, day or night. And they just ignored it. It's like they didn't want to sit in the- Ignore it. Maybe they didn't want to see the severity, I think. 
It's a hard pill to swallow. That, he, but it was all laid out for you. Just, I, just, I can't talk. It was all laid out. Yeah. So I, I got outraged at that part, and then mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. was heartbroken for what happened to them, and yep. then here's some, there's more outrage to come. Oh, goody. I've only got two paragraphs left. Bruce was sent to Riverview, a mental institution where he received around-the-clock care. He was initially found unfit to stand trial, but in April 1983, he was deemed fit as he continued to improve, and in November of 1983, his trial began. He was found not guilty by reason of insanity. He was committed to the Forensic Psychiatric Institute in British Columbia, where the jury believed he would be held the rest of his life. What do you mean believed? I'll get to it. Oh, my God. Okay. After this, laws concerning those found not guilty by reason of insanity changed, and mentally ill people with no propensity for violence were being released. Years later, Bruce made the list. What do you mean no propensity for violence? He killed his family. Are you fucking kidding me? In 1993, government officials helped Bruce Blackman change his name as he prepared for release from his institution. Oh, my God. So we don't even know where he is. He was released in 1995 and given absolute discharge, meaning he is no longer monitored by a facility and was released back into the community. His whereabouts are unknown. There were so many times that Bruce could have been committed by the family or the psychiatrist, but he wasn't. And seven lives could have been saved. And now he walks among us. So there you go. And who knows who else he... uh, Hmm. There's no way to know. So I I found... I cannot believe that they changed the... uh, It is appalling. I was only able to find one picture. Okay. I found one. Okay. So if you want to go look at it, it's of a newspaper clipping. I almost forgot about the photo. Good God. Okay. Okay. So Barry Blackman, which is Todd. Okay. Is the first one pictured on the back row next to the one circled in red, who is Bruce. Hi. Little brother Ricky is there in the middle. And it says unidentified couple. That's either Karen or Angela and her husband. I'm not sure which one. Okay. And then the bottom left, it says unidentified couple again, which is either Karen or Angela and their husband. So those two couples, I'm not sure which sister is which. Okay. Okay. Then you got dad, Richard in the middle, and Irene, mom. And then Roberta, which is Bobby. Okay. Bobby and her husband, John. So mom and dad, Bobby and John were all killed. And then Ricky... And one of the sisters, one of the other sisters were killed. Shit. Mm-hmm. Well, you did a really good job. Thanks. Okay. I had never heard about this. I have not either. Rabbit it's holes were found. <laughs> yeah. And I went with it. Oh, it's horrible. It's so bad. I'm sorry, friends. But now you know. (sighs) Study that picture and make sure you don't know Bruce Blackman. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. um, That just really, that really freaks me out. He could be anywhere. Yeah. He could be anywhere. 
He made people eat their book. Oh, that is so grotesquely gross. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. It's disgusting. Yeah, it's awful. It's all awful. Eat your book. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. I'm not turning that into a t-shirt. Oh, no. Sorry. Nope. (laughs) Are you ready for mine? (laughs) Have you recouped at all? Mm. We took a small break. (laughs) Sure. Um, Mine doesn't involve a gun. Okay. (laughs) Trying to find silver lining. All right. Okay. All right, well, my case is about Brett Ryan, a.k.a. the crossbow killer. I don't know this either. I heard this one a while back, and I've had it in my little pocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, let's just do it. That's what she said. In 2007, 26-year-old Brett Ryan found himself $60,000 in debt and living in a large home in Conference Boulevard with his family, Close to the border of Scarborough and Pickering in Ontario, Canada. So you're in Canada, yep. too. And your dude's in his 20s, too. Yep. Cray. Yep. Canada. What, <laughs> what is are happening? you doing? <laughs> What's happening? What is going on up there? All right. Eh? Eh? <laughs> this was not the life he envisioned for himself. Despite his friendly demeanor, Brett had been struggling. He had dropped out of college and was working as a house painter. Okay. Which is fine. Yeah. Desperate to escape his financial troubles, he turned to crime and robbed his first bank in October of 2007. Well, you're just going for the gold right away, aren't you? (laughs) All right. Oh, he also earned himself another nickname. Okay. Over the next eight months, he committed 12 more bank robberies, earning the nickname The Bearded Bandit. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Due to his disguise of bandages... And a beard. Well, how fun. His beard was not real. <laughs> he has no beard in any of the photos well, that's I've clever. ever seen. I know, but it's like, <laughs> throw him off your trail. It didn't work. Eventually, Brett was caught by police and pleaded guilty. During his trial, his background as a generous volunteer was highlighted, and he received a lenient sentence. Oh, my fuck. Despite his criminal acts, Brett was described by the judge as a person of integrity and a productive member of society. He robbed 12 banks. With his (laughs) big smile, warm eyes, and shaggy hair, Brett had the appearance of a friendly, laid-back individual. Not someone you would expect to find committing bank robberies. Let's go look at Brett. And he does not. He looks like an Abercrombie boy. <laughs> he looks like a frat boy. Yeah. Petting sharks at the aquarium. I mean. <laughs> Don't say he's cute, Amanda. No, no. I was I, not going to say he's cute. The way you say, said, I mean. I and gr- sharks. Oh. I, I like sharks. You said, I mean, and then kind of grinned a little bit. No. And I was like, for fuck's oh, God, sake. No, 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 no. I think I'm growing out of that. I'm so proud of you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm maturing. I'm so proud of you. Good God. <laughs> okay so judge robertson found that brett's crimes were uncharacteristic and sentenced him to five years in prison with the possibility of early parole oh geez by late 2010 brett was back home with his family eager to start a new chapter 
However, life outside of prison proved to be challenging. Mm. Brett was unable to dodge his debt and declared bankruptcy, which it happens to that. People do it all the time and you can recover from it. Mm -hmm. (sighs) He struggled to find employment as potential employers could easily discover his criminal record through a simple online search. Well, yeah, that's why you don't commit crimes. Yeah. One of the many reasons. Yeah. Just don't rob banks. You know, side hustle, OnlyFans. There you go. I know they didn't have it in 2007, but they have something. Okay. Yeah. You you can figure it out. MySpace, whatever you needed to do. Anyways, despite his attempts to restart his house painting business, most clients were unwilling to let him into their homes. Of course. Yeah. Brett, now approaching his 30th birthday, was faced with the harsh reality of being a former convict with limited education and limited opportunities. You just have to work harder. Yeah. Make it work. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Tim Gunn says that on Project Runway all the time. All the time. Mm-hmm. His actions came as a shock to his family, especially his father, Bill, a budget manager at the Toronto Star, and his mother, Sue, a homemaker and avid gardener. Well, Sue, you sound delightful. She is. I bet she makes zucchini bread. Probably. I really feel like she does. Oh, that sounds so good. I know. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) okay brett was the middle child of four brothers another big family chris the oldest was a fair collector for the ttc which was their um toronto transportation system something oh he was like a token dude i think yeah i guess that makes sense Um, while Leland, the artistic one, pursued photography and music. Well, Leland sounds like a badass. Yeah. My jam. Mm -hmm. The youngest, AJ, or Alexander, was highly intelligent and academically gifted. All right. Brett was remembered by his friends and neighbors as the outgoing jock of the family, often hiding his bouts of depression behind a positive image, as many of us do. Fret boy. Yeah. Mama Ryan was frustrated with her neighbors constantly talking about her family. She and her husband, Bill, decided to move away from the gossip and sold their large home for a smaller bungalow on Lawndale Road in Scarborough. Okay. What is, what, how is that going to help? People are going. The change will be good. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I, y'all can't see me, but it's, I just totally did jack, did off, jack hands. off hands. Yeah. Yeah be good for him people are going to talk about you no matter where you go and what you do everybody's going to talk about you oh you, you i mean you already know it didn't get better because people are talking talking, talking about people <laughs> talking about people i hear them whisper <laughs> and they keep saying <laughs> i'm channeling my will ferrell it's fine <laughs> Okay, I channeled Bonnie Raitt, which is the original, but it's fine. Uh, No, Will Ferrell sounds like a mix of Fergie and Jesus, and that's the one we're going with. Some people call him the songbird of his generation. Okay. (laughs) Argue that shit. I'm sorry. I mean, he is really good. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Scooby Doo, but 
We might as well just play a little clip. <laughs> Insert well clip just, here. We might as well just stick it in there. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> you might as well just stick it in there. She was even doing a finger motion. <laughs> It's not what I meant. <laughs> I didn't take my sweater off. It's like, it is so hot in here. God. It's so hot. Why does this happen every time? <laughs> I even turn the air down. <laughs> All right. I don't even know where I'm at. Okay. Oh, 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 yeah. Peaceful. So they moved. <laughs> in their new peaceful neighborhood, Brett worked to get his life back on track. He took low-paying retail jobs and went back to... Mm-hmm. University, college, whichever you want to call it, to study biophysics. Nice. With the help of his parents. He also sought help from a psychologist and became more open with his family. Well, that's good. That's positive thing. Right? Good mm-hmm. steps. We're making progress. Making progress. In 2011, Brett was set up on a blind date with Kristen Baxter, a physiotherapist who lived a normal life with her Wheaton Terrier poodle mix and enjoyed hiking and traveling okay where what's the dog's name i don't know are there pictures no what the fuck i'm sorry Hi, puppy. there's lots of pictures of them together but no puppy well that's shit i tried okay despite knowing about brett's past kristen fell in love with him and they moved in together in 2013 They lived in a small condo with a beautiful view of the lake, traveled frequently, and spent time enjoying each other's company. How nice. Yeah, let's go take a look at Brett and Kristen. Happy little couple with their cute little sunglasses. They do look cute, though. They do look cute. She's adorbs. Mm -hmm. He's a normal-looking guy. He's adorbs. No. I'm not going to say he's cute, but he is a normal looking guy. Like, you wouldn't. But where's the dog? <laughs> That's I'm, all Brittany cares about is where's the fucking dog? Where is the dog? Okay. Well. All right. all right. Tell me things. Tell me horrible things. Okay. However, after Brett's father passed away, Aww. I know, he took care of his mother and helped with administrative tasks. He also took on odd jobs for extra money, but his finances continued to deteriorate. He's not good with money. And plus, you know, it's too expensive to live, so. Yeah, and he's not robbing banks anymore, Mm -hmm. so. But he did propose to Kristen with a diamond ring and didn't tell her that he dropped out of school in 2015. Okay. Winner. He continued to lead his family and fiancé to believe that he was still pursuing his degree. In the spring of 2016, Brett finally landed a job with a Toronto-based tech firm, giving him hope to escape low-wage work and start earning a decent income. He celebrated this achievement with his fiancée, Kristen, and his family, but the company soon discovered his past as the bearded bandit, causing them to withdraw the job offer. Mm. Instead of admitting defeat, Brett maintained the illusion of still having the job lying to his family every day day this that sounds a lot like my first work. ex-husband <laughs> <laughs> well i would think he had a job and he'd just be chilling at our friends houses all day yeah oh manders meanwhile <laughs> brett and kristen were preparing for their september 16th 2016 wedding which was to be held at ancaster mill a picturesque venue near hamilton maybe i should throw a picture of that in there yeah. Now that I'm reading it, I kind of want to see what it looks like. So. Yeah. 
We'll find that. Brett's mother, Sue, was proud of his accomplishments, often boasting to their neighbors about his university degree, job, condo, and upcoming wedding. However, Brett was increasingly dependent on her for financial support, asking for more paid work around the house. Despite her support, Brett's situation was becoming dire, and with the wedding only a month away, he revealed the truth about his jobless status to his mother, Mm. seeking her support until he found another job. Is it that beautiful? She gasped. Oh, and the food looks delicious. Okay. I found their website. Mm. So they do weddings and events. They also have dinner. Like you can book a table. I like dinner. Like a restaurant too. Oh, my stars. Okay. So it's like fancy, fancy. Yeah. Okay. I will save a photo of this outside right here. Yeah, pick a good one. Yeah. Done. All right. I'm fixing to put it on the drive. Okay. Um, he revealed the truth about his jobless status to his mother, seeking her support until he found another job. Instead of helping, badass mama gave him an ultimatum. Either tell Kristen the truth or she would do it herself. Good job, mom. Withholding any more money until he came clean. Nice. Now go look at the picture. Okay. Oh, holy shit. Right? I want to go play in it. Can I play in the water? I mean, I'm not the boss of you. Well, considering there's like railings everywhere, probably not. But I'm going to do it anyways. Isn't it gorgeous? It's beautiful. I bet the view is beautiful no matter where you are. I, yeah, I just want to have mimosas on that little terrace right there. I would totes do that. Yeah, or coffee in the morning. Like, how amazing would that be? Right by that waterfall. Soup's amazing. Okay, well, we're going to Canada. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I think that's already on the list. Is it? Mm -hmm. We'll just stop by Ancaster Mill. Okay. Okay. Doable. Telling Kristen the truth was his worst fear, as it could potentially lead to their breakup and force him to return to his mother's house in Lawndale, where he would be broke and reliving a history of failures. Motherfucker, you broke now. You call it upon yourself. Bro. You're doing it now. Mm-hmm. What's the difference? Veiled by a lie. Yeah. He was too close to achieving his dream life to let his mother bring him down, and so he made the decision to kill her. Fuck right off, Brett. But he needed a weapon. And since his sentence prohibited him from obtaining a firearm, he chose to buy a crossbow, which can easily be purchased without a license by anyone over the age of 18. You don't need a crossbow. You're not Norman Reedus. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Wait, wait, wait. Just listen to the crossbow that he bought, though. Okay. He purchased a secondhand Barnett Recruit Youth 30. A kid's. He bought a a kid's crossbow. Did he go to the flea market? That sounds like something you find at the flea market. (laughs) No. Next to the BB guns. But, you know, I mean. (laughs) The little pellet guns Uh and stuff. Yeah. Pew, pew. Maybe some little pop guns right beside Do you remember it too. those with the little caps in it? I do, I do. Hell yes. Those used to smell terrible. Oh. But they were so cool. They were, we were like, oh my God, it's a gun. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> that was the shit. It was the shit. Me and Seth used to pretend to shoot each other with them. We were cool. What's fun is those little pellet guns. Those little air-powered. Um, no, those hurt, and I'm they not do playing hurt, anymore. But they're fun. <laughs> no, those hurt, and I'm not playing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Oh, yeah, so it's a kid's crossbow. (laughs) One of Canada's lightest and most affordable options designed for young hunters with a speed of 140 feet per second. Feet per peckant? Peep. Yeah. (laughs) You've never heard of that? You've never gone 140 feet per second? (laughs) Get with it. (laughs) I know. I'm so out of touch. I'm disappointed. (laughs) He purchased, oh, he did purchase a crossbow secondhand. That's, I mean, that's all I really know. It was probably like eBay or, no, that leaves a trace too. Now he got this at the Greenwood no, Flea Market. Cause, <laughs> so, yeah, he did want to leave a trace record, um, like purchasing on Amazon, which typically sells for around $288 if you just want to know. Okay. <laughs> Were you crossbow shopping? <laughs> no, it was actually in the article. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to keep that. Um, let's go take a look at the crossbow that he purchased. All right. So there you go. In the days following the ultimatum, Brett continued to work on renovations at his mother's home and stashed the crossbow in the cluttered garage on top of a shelf among the tools. On August 25th, 2016, Brett and Kristen got ready for work. Once Kristen left for her physiotherapy practice, Brett set to work constructing an alibi. Listen to this shit, okay? Okay. Why he could not be this constructive in every other aspect of his life. If, if he had just applied all this, he, he would have been fine. Okay, so look. He propped up his laptop against the wall using two weights and duct taped a wooden spoon to a fan, which was set up to click on the enter key activating YouTube. He also attached two portable fans to a wooden board, which he placed on the kitchen counter with styluses taped to the fans to tap the screens of a smartphone and a tablet. Wow. Mr. MacGyver, like shit going on here. It's insane. The timers were set to activate the fans and send pre-written messages throughout the afternoon, ensuring that the devices wouldn't go to sleep while he was away. With the intention of establishing an airtight alibi in case of any accusations, he put together a plan to leave a digital trail for the police to trace back to his home. Wow. He believed that by doing so, he could claim that he had been in home all day watching videos on YouTube and sending emails, a foolproof alibi for the modern era. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's insane. That's insane. Yes, obviously. Despite the scorching weather, Brett put on two pairs of jeans before he stepped out of the house, which I just keep picturing modern day Louisiana. Mm -hmm. It's like 110 still. It's hot. He packed his gym bag with essentials for his disguise kit, including extra clothes, a wig, and even a bucket hat similar to the ones he'd worn during his bank robberies. Nice. Old habits ni- never die hard, right? Right. <laughs> he also included several broadhead bolts for his crossbow. His mom was not expecting Brett to show up that morning, and when he arrived, she was unwilling to see his side of things. She threatened to tell Kristen everything if Brett did not change his ways. The argument escalated, and Sue called her oldest son, Chris, to come help her deal with Brett. Realizing the situation was slipping out of control, Brett stormed out of the back door and went straight to the garage, and his mother followed him. 
Oh, no. Brett's mother entered the garage before he had time to fully prepare his crossbow, so he resorted to a different weapon. He grabbed one of the broadhead crossbow bolts and violently stabbed her (gasps) in the cheek and the ear. Oh, no. He overpowered her and strangled her with a nylon rope until she took her last breath. That is your mother, sir. That is your mother. In preparation for his brother's arrival, Brett quickly cocked the crossbow. Because, you know, all that commotion and everything. Mm-hmm. Despite its deadly potential, a crossbow is relatively easy to use with a bit of practice. So when Chris entered the garage, Brett crept up behind him and fired the crossbow at close range, sending the three-bladed bolt through his brother's neck and into his mouth. What the fuck? Yeah. He died instantly. The garage floor was now slick with blood and sawdust as Brett dragged his brother's body to stack it on top of their mother's, covering them both with a tarp. If he had the time, he planned to change his blood-soaked jeans and don a wig and hat that he had brought with him. However, before he could do so, his younger brother, AJ, arrived. Brett stepped outside to confront AJ and clutching a crossbow bolt, the two grappled. Brett plunged the bolt into AJ's neck, causing him to fall onto the driveway. Meanwhile, Leland, who had been napping. What the fuck? Yeah. Woke up to the commotion and ran outside to call for help. He was followed by Brett, who launched an attack, leading to a brutal and bloody struggle between the two brothers. They fought their way back through the house, um, knocking over furniture and leaving a trail of blood in their wake. As the struggle continued, AJ managed to crawl down the driveway towards the street. Leland, who had managed to escape from Brett, found his youngest brother still alive and bleeding in the driveway. Fearing for his safety, Leland ran across the street to seek help from his mother's friends, Warren and Marie. He banged on their door, gasping for help, called 911. My brother's bleeding in the driveway. Make sure the police come. Mm -hmm. Um, Exhausted and bleeding, Leland collapsed into Warren's arms after delivering his message. Mm. Defeated, Brett retrieved a bottle of water from the open refrigerator and returned to the front porch where he calmly waited for the police to arrive. Hello, Ed Kemper. Oh, my gosh. AJ was still conscious conscious when the first officer arrived but passed away at, before the paramedics could reach him. Oh, no. Brett told the police that he should have taken AJ to the hospital instead of waiting for them to arrive. And he also confessed to being the one who killed the people in the garage. Hmm. After Brett was arrested, Toronto police entered Kristen's condo and discovered the alibi devices. The CBRNE team, I don't know what it stands for. It's the crime scene investigators. Sure. I mean, it's got to be. They were called to the scene and they managed to disarm the devices before they could activate. Brett hired Ron, no, John Rawson, a famous criminal lawyer known as Mr. Murder. Uh, garbage. To represent him, he waived the preliminary. Preliminary. (laughs) I'm fine. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. (laughs) Okay. Inquiry and pleaded guilty to second-degree murder in the death of his mother, first-degree murder in the death of his brother, Chris, and second-degree murder in the death of AJ. At the sentencing, Brett tearfully addressed the court and expressed his sincere remorse for his actions. The judge praised Brett's presentation and sincerity, acknowledging that he, too, was a victim in this tragedy. Yeah. Sir. Sir. 
Brett was given concurrent life sentences for each murder and an additional 10 years for attempting to kill Leland. He will be eligible for parole in 2041 when he is 60 years old. Leland, Brett's surviving brother, told the court about the trauma of seeing his family killed by his own brother. He now suffers from severe anxiety and has difficulty leaving the house, sleeping, and concentrating. I bet. Yeah, me too. And I only just read it. That's so sad. Uh, I'm done. That's it. Good job. That's, uh, yep. <laughs> Thanks. It was <laughs> great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, this topic was heavy, much heavier than what we've been doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we both had heavy ones this time. It, mm-hmm. Ugh. But we didn't misunderstand the assignment. Everybody did it. We both did right. it right. Mm-hmm. We get gold stars this week, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's move on. Okay. <laughs> to something a little bit more funner. A little bit more funner. A little bit. You win prizes. Yeah. Because you know what it's time for. It's time for... Guess that cryptid. I don't know. I lost it. <laughs> it's still okay. It's fine. One day. One day. It's fine. Um. So we have a winner, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. We have a winner. <laughs> that was better. That was good. Um, it hit me completely by surprise because they answered it even before last week's episode came out with clue number three. So they got it with two clues. Yeah. And those were hard. They, we felt like they were really vague. We didn't think anybody was going to get it till at least the third or fourth clue. But damn, these bitches took it by storm. Mm-hmm. So the gals at Rambling Broads podcast. Woo! Got it. And I apologize for it taking me two days to see it. <laughs> I I missed it. I we, totally missed well, it. We've been traveling. Yes. And um so work sucks right now. We are so busy. Swamped. But I did I did make a post. Yes. And we love you and thank you for participating. Thank you. Con- and congratulations. You yeah. will be getting your merch. Your mystery prize arrives later in December. Yep. Yeah. She's like, okay, I'm good. I'm cool with that. Don't hold your breath. <laughs> but it's coming. <laughs> it's a coming. Mm-hmm. Whether you want it to or not. <laughs> oh my God. So it was a puck wedgie. Puck wedgies. They're so freaking cute. They will push you off cliffs though. But they're horrible. Yeah. They don't Yeah, like we the had so many more clues to go, y'all. We did. Like, look, said to be two to three feet tall. Lures people to their deaths. They launch poison arrows. I thought that one was we didn't even get. To I know. That. We I liked that one. And they push people off cliffs. Mm-hmm. Watch yourself. <laughs> Danger. <laughs> Watch your back. <laughs> Watch out for puck wedgies. Oh my god. So um, I will post a photo of a puck wedgie. But guess what? Y'all done fucked up because you keep guessing them really easy. So we're yeah. We're trying to so make it gonna, harder. We're going to get a little bit harder this time. Yeah, that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Anywho. I said it. Okay. Who's ready for another cryptid? Me. 
All right. So clue number one, one for cryptid number four. four. Oh, my fuck. We were worried that y'all wouldn't get one. I know. We're going to have to spend some money. I know. <laughs> what were we thinking? <laughs> that it would be really fun. It's too it's fun. Yeah. Okay. So cryptid number four, clue number one. One of the largest cryptids to ever exist. Yeah, like seriously. And one more time. One, one more again. One more again. I'm stuffing my on face back. with macaroni. You, you hear the mouth noises? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Mm. It was looking at me. Mm. Okay. So the clue was <laughs> one of the largest cryptids to ever exist. And your time starts now. <laughs> now. 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 Y'all, it, I need to go to bed. Yeah, we should probably do that. Thanks for coming back. Once again. Yeah. Keep doing this. Yeah, do it again next week. Because mm-hmm. we're going to. Yeah. But not right now. I'm tired. Dumpster fire and all. We make it work. Okay. Somehow. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for hanging out with us. Don't forget to visit us on Facebook and Instagram for episode picks and announcements. Please rate and review on Apple, Spotify, and Facebook. We want to give a huge shout out to Stephen Goetzky for editing, Craig Weaver for music, and our very own Amanda Hagen for art. We'll talk at you next week.